Tonight, we all become spies in the wild as we look back on the groundbreaking miniseries from PBS's Nature. The show cleverly disguises over 30 animatronic spy cameras as animals, secretly capturing animal behavior like never before and giving us a glimpse of what life is really like in the great outdoors. We take you undercover as this special edition of Metro Focus starts right now. This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Ramon, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Philemon M. D'Agostino Foundation, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, estate of Roland Carlin. If you thought our friends over at Nature couldn't get you any closer to life in the wild, well, think again. Spy in the Wild, a five-part miniseries presented right here on PBS, features over 30 cameras disguised as different species of animals that secretly record life in the animal kingdom. And you won't believe what these spy cams caught on video. Just take a look at this clip from the series' first episode, Love. For three long months, she protected her eggs day and night as she waited for this moment. Now, she meets her babies for the first time. They are delicate and vulnerable. But they are not safe here. She must get them to water. Her solution is extraordinary. Despite having the most powerful bite in nature, she carefully gathers them in a throat pouch beneath a stockade of deadly teeth. She is as gentle as a croc could ever be. She won't leave any behind. Even spy hatchling. Safe in her cavernous mouth, all survive unscathed. And Spy Hatchling is still filming. And joining us now with more on the Spy in the Wild miniseries is Fred Kaufman, executive producer of Nature, and John Nolan, one of the key designers of some of the spy camera technology featured 
in this series. Gentlemen, welcome. It's a pleasure to have right. you guys here. And John, by the way, I just found out you are no slouch. You worked on Harry Potter, Where the Wild Things Are, Hellboy, War Horse. Yes. Man, thanks for coming. Well, thank you All very the way much. from England. Thank you. <laughs> so John, let me start with you. Uh, these spy creatures are amazing. We just saw one out of 30. Mm. Uh, they're so real, it's like Westworld for animals, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, how did you go about getting them so right? Lots of research, really, uh, going on to YouTube and Google, finding lots about uh, the anatomy and form. We had to do uh, look at videos uh, where we'd find the animals in slow motion or high-speed footage of them, so we could actually try and create the same movement with robotics, engineer metal in a way to obviously get them to work exactly as they would in the wild. Yeah, yeah, and they and do. move in that way. Yeah, 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 and they respond to other animals as they would in the wild. Yes, absolutely. Now, now Fred, uh, we also see a lot of interaction between the creatures and the spy creatures, the real animals yeah. and the spy creatures. So obviously cameras, regular cameras, and I guess camera operators were able to get close to these animals as well. How did that happen? Well, first, Raph, this is probably the most ambitious thing we've ever done. Yeah, uh, it is. And... There were about four or five people involved in, in shooting a sequence. So in some cases, you had two operators of the animatronic animal, the movements and everything. And you would have a proper camera person with a regular lens filming sort of the wide shot. And you mentioned over 30 animatronic animals, which is true. But there were an additional maybe 25 cameras that were used in fake tree stumps, <laughs> in boulders, in rocks, and tree limbs, and things like that. They were surrounded. By they cameras. were surrounded, and there were a number of, of people watching. So everything was recorded. They recorded thousands and thousands of hours of footage that each night they had to go through it. Yeah. and just weed out the stuff they didn't want because it would be completely overwhelming to try to do this. Now, now a fundamental question that I've, that I've had, and we've talked about in previous discussions about these spy documentaries, spy cam documentaries, and that other people have is, are these animals really fooled? And I'd like both of you to get into it. Are these animals really fooled by these spy creatures? Or do they know it's not one of them, but they just get used to them? Let me start with you for well, John might differ because his spy creatures are so perfectly uh, created. But no, there, there really wasn't an intent to fool them. And in fact, what's interesting about the entire series is what you see is pretty much the first moment when these wild animals encountered the spy creatures. And so the idea was twofold. One, to get these incredibly close-up shots because you had these spy creatures with cameras in their eyes that obviously got very close to these animals. And the second thing was just to watch how they would react to these sort of things. Yeah. You know, Raph, to me, it's like if we put a human mannequin between us, we, we would be sort of curious about it and we look at it, but for the most part, we would know it's not yeah. real. <laughs> so what do you think? Do you think that they're fooled or not? I, for a split second, and that's that for us. I see. For us, that's that's job done. Even if it's for that one moment, that first interaction where where they, the animal might buy into our robot being real, then that that is is job done for us. It's it's, okay. it's um, something that I guess the the rest of the documentary or you know is based around, if you like. We got 15 seconds. Unfortunately, the theme is love, and this, does it show that these creatures love like we love? 
you know, that's not a 15 second answer. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's very hard to know how you experience love from how I, I experience it. love. I but there is that bond and science more and more is proving to us that they do have these feelings. Okay, well, Fred, John, thank you so, thank much. You so much. This really is a great leap forward in these uh, spy cam documentaries. How well do we understand what animals think and feel? Answering that question was one of the missions of nature's miniseries, Spy in the Wild. And to that end, the series producers use cameras designed to look, move, and even smell like animals and other things to spy on their subjects in their most intimate moments. Take a look at this scene where a spy cam disguised as a cobra is facing a meerkat who's bravely attempting to defend her comrades in the Kalahari Desert. Being a sentry is a risky business, as they are easy targets for predators. But with young pups to protect, they take even greater risks by climbing higher. Here they can see predators sooner, but they're vulnerable to birds of prey. Their self-sacrifice is about to be tested. But this is no ordinary cobra. It's a spy cobra. With no regard for her own safety, she prepares to face the snake. She reacts as she would to the real thing, bravely protecting the colony and their precious cubs with no thought for herself. Her aim is to harass the snake into leaving. But with Spy Snake holding its ground, the meerkat calls for reinforcements. And joining me now to talk about the Spy in the Wild series is Nature's executive producer, Fred Kaufman. Fred, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Ralph. You know, Fred, this series... Hey, hey Ralph, let me just interrupt yeah. you. You know, that scene with the meerkat, yeah. um, the, the, uh, the um, fake meerkat was actually smeared with poo. <laughs> yeah. So it would smell like the others. People have often asked that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, a lot of stuff were smeared with poo. <laughs> Even poo, they had a poo camera yeah, smeared right. with poo. But, but we'll get to that. Uh, but you know, what I was going to say is that this series has been a huge, huge hit, especially on social media, mm -hmm. right, where some of the segments have gotten millions yeah. of hits. What is it about this series that people find so compelling? Well, first of all, it's it's just how lifelike the the animatronics yeah. look. And the other thing is, I think whenever you introduce these lookalikes, you really want to see how the animals react. Are they fooled? Are they not fooled? Are they threatened by it? Do they want to destroy these robots? How will they first react to them? And to me, that's the highlight of each of the segments. Now, the cobra sequence that we just saw is pretty interesting. The meerkat investigating is the sentry. He, she's the one who's standing on top of these bushes looking out for really eagles. And when she notices this cobra, it's her job to investigate and protect. And when she calls for reinforcements, and we, we didn't show, we don't have time to show the entire clip, they all come like yeah. a gang it's marching amazing. up. A gang is right. And West Side Story. Man. Yeah, it's really <laughs> suspenseful. And, yeah. and what I thought was terrific, there was a point where the sentry goes, you know, I don't think this is real. Well, but I want to get to that because, first of all, 
He said, you know, it's an interesting to find out if they're fooled or not fooled. But assuming that they're generally fooled, isn't that a disservice to the animals, you know, fooling the animals? And aren't you kind of changing the natural scheme of things? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think anytime you do something that's, that's non-observational, there is a level of controversy, you know, but that's how you learn things. You know, you poke and prod and pull at things. And out of that comes big kind of scientific rewards. Now, with all the animals we film, we were working with specific researchers who who's, who've been looking at these animals for years. So they were always a re research group that we were filming. And we were really taking direction from the scientists. So we knew um, when to place these robotics out in the, in the wild. You know, it wasn't just an arbitrary decision. And the behavior that we filmed was interpreted by these scientists. So we knew what we were seeing. So uh, our feeling was, you know, if they allowed us to do this, then there was a degree of acceptance and we didn't think it would be too bad. And quickly, were they generally fooled, do you think? I think it depends on the animal. I, I think clearly we saw a tortoise mount and try to have sex with the, the animatronic. <laughs> uh, I think for most animals, there is a level of curiosity, which they then discover that, okay, this really isn't one of us. And more importantly, it's non-threatening. It's not gonna hurt us. So they were ignored. But what ends up on television is really that first moment. One of the most disturbing scenes in the whole series is when uh, chimps gather together very smartly to accost uh, these baboons. Essentially, they ambush them very intelligently and it becomes very violent. Now, I have to say the most frightening thing is it's at that moment where animal behavior looks more like human behavior to me. So let me ask the big question that the series tries to answer. Did we discover that animals behave more like human beings than we ever thought? I don't think we discovered, but I think we reinforce it. And certainly the scene you're talking about, it's quite disturbing and it's been filmed before where um, a, a troop of chimps is aware of a, a troop of baboons coming through its territory and they attack and they kill a baboon and they end up eating it. And you, you see, they, they sort of strategize. They're, they come at it in different ways. I mean, they're they're vicious, vi they are vicious. They can kill, they're territorial. Um, you know, there are a number of scenes with chimpanzees, chimpanzees in the series where you see this jealousy and conniving and deception. And, um, you know, males are kicked out if they try to uh, mate with a female. Um, when the alpha male, that's, that's his role. So in a lot of ways, I guess they are like us. <laughs> well, Fred, we got, I got a lot more questions, but we're out of time, but you're going to come back in yeah. the next couple okay. of episodes. Thanks, Fred. Thanks. Animals are known as the masters of misbehavior, but what makes them break the rules? Fourth installment of Nature's Spy in the Wild captures rarely seen behavior that may provide the answer to that question. Here's a look. Spy in the Wild continues with a look at mischief and mayhem in the natural world. Youngsters are often up to no good, but even the most badly behaved animals must abide by some rules. Ingenious new spy creatures are on site to witness these devious deeds and lessons learned, all from a whole new perspective. Joining me now to reveal why animals just can't seem to stop themselves from breaking bad is nature's executive producer, Fred Kaufman. Fred, welcome back. Thank you. Now, Fred, in this episode, we see mischief, we see deception, we see criminal behavior, among many other things, within the animal uh, world. 
Um, are we seeing the dark side of animals here? Well, it does seem that way. You know, <laughs> I, I think we always want to think of animals as being pure and altruistic and, and um, you know, creatures we want to pet. And, uh, but, you know, as we're seeing in order to survive in the wild and particularly to live in a social group, um, there are all sorts of devious ways to get ahead and get what you want. And that's what we look at in this show. I mean, the, the animals that we come to really love like meerkats, yeah. like penguins, like yeah. dolphins, yes. for goodness sake. Yes. They're misbehaving here. Do we have to rethink what, how we've been thinking about these animals? I think we just need a bigger, <laughs> clearer picture of their behaviors and not just limit ourselves to, you know, what we think they should be. And, uh, you know, with penguins, for example, I mean, they could be vicious <laughs> as they try to create a nest. And we have a, a scene where um, to impress the females, uh, males try to get the best sort of create the best nest. And they often will steal pebbles from another male, which leads to fights and other things. Uh, with meerkats, a terrific story, I hadn't even seen this before, where only the queen is allowed to mate and this younger upstart wanted to get into the uh, fun and was kicked out of the group. You because know? she started to, to, to play around with a, with a meerkat from another group. That's right, and all the And they caught her. Yeah, and all the meerkats said, that's it for you. And, you, they, and they threw her out of the they, community, they so to speak. They threw her out, you know, and uh, you know, Raph, it's, it's so much like how we behave yeah. in our social structure, um, you know, with clearly the one with the most seniority sort of, or the oldest person sort of has all the privileges, you know, and the younger upstarts have to kind of wait and listen and wait for their turn. Now, do all the meerkat and female meerkats, so they all have to be virgin? Except for the queen? I guess so. I mean, uh, oh you know, or, or the... No wonder there's deception they're going on. sex on the side and the... the <laughs> and and that happens too. I mean, that happens too. And, and speaking of which, it seems like sex is one of the prime movers to misbehavior. Yeah. And it seems to be one of the themes of this show, is it? Yeah, well, you know, it, it is instinctual to pass along your genes, uh, you know, your, your DNA. I mean, that's a very strong instinct. And therefore, there will be all sorts of ways um, for the males to, to, to make that happen. And, you know, their hormones surge as well. And, and all these individuals have personalities. Mm -hmm. And some may not be satisfied with waiting. <laughs> or they will look for an opportunity and, and do it sort of carefully um, away from everybody's, you know, prying you, eyes. You see this among the chimps. You see this among the chimps. All, yeah, and it's yeah. all the time. You know, <laughs> and you, you see them looking around, too. That's right. That's right. So it's very entertaining. But, um, and, but it's very serious matters, too. I mean, you know, um, they're either kicked out of the group or they can get into these death battles as well. Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the other reasons uh, that, that cause animals to misbehave besides sex? Well, if, you know, again, it's, it's in these social structures where there are very defined roles for everybody, you know, and the higher you are on the social scale, the more privilege you, privileges you have. And there's one scene with our wolf pup where um, the, the family is out hunting and they have a, a babysitter to watch these pups. Yeah. And she gets a little annoyed because they're off f fooling around a little further away from the den than they should be, and she goes out to teach them a lesson, and they have to be subservient, and they have to kind of go on their backs, you know. And like one of them doesn't want to do and it. One of them doesn't want to do oh. it, and she has to teach that one a lesson. <laughs> and our wolf pup spy cam obviously doesn't want to do it, so that gets knocked over. So you, you do see these kind of 
um, behaviors where they're trying to reinforce who's in charge, you know, where you are in the pecking order, because that really is that really keeps the whole group together and defines yeah. behavior and the yeah. success of them. You know, as I said last time we spoke, it's um, these animals look most like human beings, behave most like human beings when they are behaving badly. You know, that's one yes. of the missions, as I said, that's one of the missions uh, of the series, yeah. to show that in fact animals behave a lot more like, like human beings than we ever thought. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I do. You know, there's one really interesting scene with the chimps and we have a bush baby and a fake log and the bush baby is a sort of little primate uh -huh. that comes up and down and watches it. And the chimp goes up to this bush baby with a branch with leaves and he really puffs himself out and he's trying to impress the female. He's actually just sitting there for a while, then the female shows up and then he begins exactly. to act Exactly, now what guy can't relate to that? <laughs> I mean, he's puffing himself up, he's making, him look, he's making himself look bigger and more courageous to impress the female. Uh -huh. And when she isn't interested and walks away, mm -hmm. he stops it. Let me ask you about the whole series. What surprised you the most? I, I think what surprised me, well, it didn't surprise me, but I think um, how clever and smart these animals are. Um, I don't think they were really fooled. I think the way they approached these animatronics was very interesting and very telling. I think once they recognize that it's not a threat, they sort of ignore it. Um, you know, once they feel also, you know, a little wolf pup gets peed on by the, the matriarch. And I think there's a bit of, because these animals don't behave naturally and normally, these spy cams, they suffer the indignities. <laughs> you know, if you're a wolf pup and you're not kind of being subserv subservient to the mother, you get peed on. There's an egret that's standing in the middle of this elephant herd <laughs> and gets, you know, splashed with, splashed with mud. And I think that was the elephant saying, you know, you should be flying away <laughs> or moving. So I think there's a lot going on that we're discovering yeah, in their minds. Nature's five-part miniseries, Spy in the Wild, recorded animal behavior in 21 countries over a three-year period, employing more than 30 animatronic spy cameras. These robot spy cams, which included a spy orangutan, a spy crocodile, a spy egret, and two spy baby hippos, infiltrated the most intimate habitats of the natural world and captured extraordinary animal behavior in the wild. Now, the final episode of the series explains how the concept of spy creatures evolved and shows us the painstaking efforts that went into building and deploying these amazingly lifelike models. Here's a look. Spy in the Wild concludes with a behind-the-scenes look at the making of the series. Meet the creators whose cutting-edge designs and technology built an army of remarkable spy creatures. Hello, Bush Baby. We're going to put you now with the chimps. And follow the filmmakers who took great risks to deploy them in the wild. And joining me now is Nature's executive producer, Fred Kaufman. Fred, welcome back. Thanks. Now, Fred, in this last episode, we get a behind-the-scenes look mm. at the making of these robots. I hate to call them robots because they're more than that. Yeah. You know, they're like Westworld for, yes. for animals, as we've said before. And you can see that in this episode. Talk about some of the spy camps that most impressed you. And, and how long did it take to build? These well, it, it takes months because you're, you're getting measurements of the actual animals you want to recreate. You're creating first a, a clay model 
and you're sharing that with a scientist to make sure it's looking good. And then you take it to the next step and you're building a skeleton. And then you're putting in all the electronics and servers and things like that. The Orang, for example, has, I don't know, 24, 25 face movements. That's right, right. And uh, and actually takes two people to operate it. Um, so they're very advanced and complicated and time consuming. And then you got to take them out in the field and test them and everything. Right. So it, 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 it does take a while. And, and they, they don't just move. They move like they're supposed to move. Like we see the crocodile, the crocodile in a skeleton version, and it's just doing the crocodile yeah, yeah. I mean, the research that must have gone into that. Yeah, a lot of research, a lot of trial and error, a lot of decisions about which animals to try to even recreate. You know, where, where do we want to go? And sure, sure, a lot of thought goes into how to create, how to place them in the wild, where the cameras go and what we could hope for. So how much have these spy cams. Over the course of 16 years, they've evolved to what they are now. How much have they contributed to our knowledge of the intimate behavior of animals in the wild? Raph, there was an interesting scene in one of the earlier films. Um, we had, a, and probably one of the most popular sequences that had been discussed and is on YouTube. We created an animatronic right. langur. It's a type of monkey you find in India. And it was on a branch and it accidentally fell over. We didn't plan that and um, it was thought to have died by the langurs. And the females would come over and lift this dead langur, and the males wouldn't. And the males would simply come over and, and sort of touch it and groom it. And that was exactly what happens with, with real langur babies that for some reason uh, die in the wild. So it reinforced a lot of what scientists had seen, and again, the thought process of how they react to some of these animals, you know, uh, these animatronics, and um, surprisingly, very, very few were actually destroyed. Really? Uh, yeah, and I think there was an anticipation that we would lose a number of them, and the animals were not very violent or belligerent with the spy cams. They either accepted them or realized they were of no threat. How much did we learn about how they feel? Well, I, they I, I think, um, you know, studies now and the way scientists are positioning their work is far more toward the emotional side of animals, which they didn't do 25 years ago. You know, you would never give an animal a name. It would be a number, a study, you know, part of a study group. And now there's more and more observations being made where they're noticing grieving animals, you know, and play um, and perhaps love. I mean, elephants love each other, and I could use that word love. I mean, uh, they're just strongly emotional, and you could see it. So I think there's this trend toward more emotions that they share with us. And, and what's next, Fred? What's next in the technology? I mean, how much advanced, more advanced can you get in technology? How closer can you get to these animals well, we're than doing, you did with this series? We're doing another series, um, and this one's going to feature uh, animatronics a animals more on the move, more with migrating animals. So now the challenge is, how do we make them move better, more seamlessly? You know, I mean, they were a little clumsy um, in, in this series. They really weren't meant to move so much. So the next challenge is, how do we make them move uh, a little bit more seamlessly, a little bit better? And there's always a challenge of making them look better and smaller cameras and what we can do with them. So it, it's always improving on what you have. All right, Fred, well, thank you so much. It's been a great series. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to MetroFocus. You can take our award-winning program with you wherever you go with MetroFocus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. 
or simply ask your smart speaker to play MetroFocus, the podcast. Also available at metrofocus.org, WLIW.org slash radio, and on the NPR One app.